and that if there's a tight relationship and if one party is betrayed by the other in that manner, that it's almost always irreconcilable. It breaks it. I was reading a Gottman study the other day on marital stability. Gottman has done some really good analysis of couples' behavior. He has set up a lab that's basically a bed and breakfast, and he brings couples in there for a weekend, and he wires them up physiologically and monitors their reactivity. And so what he's, he can predict whether a couple's going to divorce with 95, 94% accuracy. It's like impressive. So what has he found? He's found two categories of, he's, he's identified two phenomena that are very much worth knowing. The first is that the, the couples who are going to get divorced, they come into the bed and breakfast, and they speak with each other quite calmly. But it's more walking on eggs calm. And while they're speaking with each other calmly, their physiology is like, they're very aroused. And so, so they're sort of aroused like someone who's facing a predator. So you might think of an unhappy couple as predator and prey to each other. And so the words are there mostly to stop predatory activity, not to actually communicate anything. It's just to keep the surface calm. So then you might think, well, what's under the surface? And what's under the surface, so Freud would say, it's what's under the surface is unconscious. And, but you can say, well, what's under the surface is one of these hierarchies that's all banged up and twisted and, and, and not in reasonable shape. And so people don't want to open the door to that. So, but they do. This is a Freudian slip. So let's say this is, goes to the second part of Gottman's observations. So the, the woman goes over to the window and she says, oh, look, there's a cardinal outside. You know, cardinal is that bright red bird. They're kind of cool looking. You know, it's kind of a trivial thing in some sense, but by the same token, it's like, it's a little positive thing. And, you know, 20 of them in a day is good thing. Okay, so then the, uh, the partner, the husband in this example, has a two-by-two two matrix of choices. One is, who the hell cares about your stupid bird? Okay, so that's one. The second one is, <sighs> then you go over and look at the bird, right? And the, the third one is, you don't make the contempt noise, but you act it out. And the fourth one is, um, you go over there like a civilized human being, and you know, and that you're interacting with someone that you care for, and you take a look at the damn bird, and you're happy about it. And, it, and that's as truthful and real as you can manage. Okay, so the <sighs> option, that's a Freudian slip, right? Because... What it says, there's a whole monster underneath that, and the monster is all the disorganization in this entire structure. It's like the, might be, we have been tormenting each other about various things for the last 10 years, and none of them are resolved, and I'm not very happy about you for so many reasons I can't even... Right. So what is this describing? What uh, what this is describing is, uh, what, what Jordan is saying is... Um, if you're on the surface keeping the peace, but underneath there's a whole bunch of stuff that hasn't been dealt with, it's very bad. Um, so my my um, word about this would be that it, prevention is the best cure, right? Like you, you can't just um, do and say whatever you want. And it's the same for her. She can't just do and say whatever she wants. And um, it's true. You do have to... Um, embrace the positive because the world is, you know, there are positives and negatives. If you're not going to, you know, stop and smell the roses, as it were, um, then 
It's it's ridiculous, right? Okay, hello and welcome to the Helios blog. My name is Helios here for another reaction video. If you're new to the channel, liking the content, hit that sub, hit all for notifications. If you'd like to support me, you can drop me a donation, like Hunter M, Adrian R, or Tom M. Shout out to them. Um, you could also go to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Helios blog, and subscribe. Again, it's patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Uh, okay, back to this even remember all of them and I'm, I can't enumerate them right now because that would take forever and maybe we would have a huge fight but by the same token I'm not going to come over there and make you happy with your stupid bird and I'm going to indicate that subtly so you can't call me a son of a bitch because I'm just sighing and that's what I'll say if you do ask me but I'm going to load all that up and I'm going to deliver it to you and what's going to happen to you is because you're smart is your heart rate's going to go way up like you're being attacked. And the reason for that is you are. So what the good couples do, the couples that, you know, stay together is they respond to each other's bids. He calls them bids. And so if one person wants to share some little trivial daily positive thing with the other, the other, you know, isn't carrying around a bloody cartload of resentment and is able to respond to that in a positive way. And that way the general interactions between the couple stay positive but that's also because they've worked this out now you know it's got to be because they work it out because the couples who are physiologically reactive to each other they're communicating but there's all sorts of horror underneath the surface and we're trying to figure out well what is it that's underneath the surface what's the structure of the unconscious well that's the structure of the unconscious and it's either well structured and functional and mutually agreed upon and as explicit as possible. Oh, okay. So here is something finally that I that I kind of disagree with. So, uh, oh, okay. No, that's not true. The structure can be mutually agreed upon. It just can't be her structure. She has to agree to be in your structure. That's called frame, right? So the subconscious should be the man is leading, the girl is following. That should be the structure, the substructure of the relationship. And if the substructure of the relationship isn't to that, you're going to have a very bad time. So that's, that's the idea. Uh, so make sure that the frame of the relationship is your frame. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to have a good relationship. It's going to be basically hell on wheels for you. Um, and when I say frame, I mean she lives in your reality, not the other way around. Or it's this constantly. Order surrounded by chaos, right? It's like a tree. It's like the, the, the evolutionary home of primates, the tree with the snakes on the ground. That's, that's our landscape. Or it's the fire for tribal people and the terrors of the forest that are beyond the the light that the fire casts. It's explored territory versus unexplored territory. And that's, that's an archetype as well. That you can't not be in a situation where that's the case. Even if you're among friends, you know, you think that's explored territory. That's not exactly right, because what happens if you're among friends is that they carefully reveal new parts of themselves all the time. So it's like they're blasting little elements of unexplored territory at you constantly. And if they don't, then what happens? You get bored and you look for new people. And we know there's empirical data on that with regards to intimate relationships because there was a nice study done a while back showing that looking at the ratio of 
of positive to negative emotional experiences that were most predictive of long-term relationship success? And the answer was, you know, obviously it depends on how you would measure an event and how you would measure positive and negative emotion. But that aside, the finding was something like, if you're in a relationship and you only have five positive interactions to one negative interaction, then the relationship will end. It's too negative. But if you have more than 11 positive interactions to one negative interaction, then it also ends. And you think, well, that's pretty bloody peculiar. Why in the world would that be? Don't you want like a hundred to one positive to negative interactions? And the answer to that is, what makes you think that you want a relationship so that you can be happy? Or at least happy moment to moment? Why do you think that? It's not, it's certainly not the case. You know that too, because I bet you there's not a person in this room who hasn't rejected someone because they were too nice to them. Something like that. Person's no challenge. It's something like that. Uh, absolutely true. Uh, if men especially, because women, women actually, it's fine, but if a man is too nice, girls are not attracted to him. A man has to have an edge to be attractive. Um, so th this is why beta men have such trouble, right? Because they don't have an edge. They just want to be a nice guy you know, open the door, buy her things, treat her like gold and get reciprocal, you know, amazing behavior from her in return. And the only way that you'll get that as a man, uh, if you act that way, is if you are superior to men in every other way, right? If you're taller than everyone, smarter than everyone, stronger than everyone, have a better job than everyone, etc. You have more money than everyone, then maybe she'll she'll have good, she'll give you good treatment. But it's possible that she even still won't because you, you're showing that you have no boundaries, right? If you never have any negative interactions, if you never react poorly to anything, right? And if your mental point of origin is not yourself, right? So if you as a man accept any behavior and all behavior, um, it's over for you, right? Like you can't just accept everything. Because if you just accept everything, then uh, you're a guy with no spine. A man with no spine has his kingdom taken over. So you can't be that. You want someone who, you know, you can get along with them, but now and then they bite you and you think, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, I didn't really expect that. And then you go and puzzle over it for a while and you torture yourself about it. And that's one of the things that keeps you really linked into the relationship. And the reason for that is that part of the reason that you want the relationship isn't so that you're happy right now. It's so that you can live a high-quality life across multiple decades. And so you're looking for someone that you have to contend with, who's going to push you beyond what you already are, and who's going to judge you. Yeah, uh, I actually, again, I Jordan keeps saying this. You want someone who you want to contend with. And I actually disagree. Maybe women want that. But men don't want that. Men do not want a woman they can contend with because life is that woman. For men, every second of, of every day, you have to spend competing. You don't want to go home and then be constantly judged and quote-unquote contended with. You don't want that. Men want peace when they go home. They want a girl that looks up to them and treats them properly and doesn't contend with them. I actually disagree with this. But women do want a man that contends with them. They do. It's true. Only a man that contends with them can be attractive. Harshly often for your limitations. Now, that'll make you angry and all of that, you, you know, and, and resentful, and maybe you'll take your revenge and, and, and all of that. But you don't want 
someone who thinks you're perfect in your current form, partly because why would you want to go out with someone that deluded? Don't lose an opportunity to grapple with something that objects to you. I actually disagree. Again, a person that thinks that you're perfect or amazing in your current form is a wonderful thing. They're a person that actually appreciates you for you. Or, you know, maybe they don't appreciate you for you, but they appreciate you for what you provide for them, right? Which is huge. This is the kind of person that encourages you to actually work hard uh, to maintain yourself because you're getting treated like gold. I disagree entirely with, with this idea here. Okay, uh, let's read the article by Roro Tomasi. Um, sorry, this is actually from Roro Tomasi's book, The Rational Male. It's not an article. This is one of the chapters of the book. It's called Playing Friends. Okay, uh, here we go. Women have boyfriends and girlfriends. If you're not sleeping with her, you're her girlfriend. Rolo, how do I get out of the friend zone? You never allow yourself to get into it. Women have used the let's just be friends rejection for a hundred years because it serves an ego preservation function to her. To a greater or lesser degree, women require attention and the more they have of it, the more affirmation they experience, both personally and socially. The let's just be friends rejection is a social convention that has a classic, classically ensured women can reject a man yet still maintain his previous attention. It also puts the responsibility for rejection back on his shoulders since should he decline the offer of friendship, he is then responsible for entertaining the friendship. This, of course, has the potential to backfire on women these days since the standard AFC response would be to accept a let's just be friends rejection and the mistaken hope of proving himself worthy of her intimacy by being the perfect surrogate boyfriend, fulfilling all her attention and loyalty prerequisites with no expectation of reciprocating her own intimacy. I should also point out that this situation is analogous to men using uh, women as, um, you know, friends with benefits, fulfilling all his bedroom fun availability needs with no expectations of reciprocating commitment. Needless to say, this merely positions the new friend into being the emotionally supportive beta counterpart to the indifferent alpha she'll consistently bang, and then complain about, also popularly known as the emotional T-word. The let's just be friends rejection also serves as an ego preservation for her, in that having offered the false olive branch of friendship to him, in her rejection she can also sleep that night knowing that she won't think any less of herself. After all, she offered to be friends, right? She's absolved of any feelings of personal guilt, are any responsibilities for his feelings if she still wants to be, remain amiable to him. Men get a let's just be friend rejection because of a process. These are the friends first mindset guys. The guys who put far too much emphasis on a solitary woman and wait around until the perfect moment to attempt to escalate into intimacy, at which point a most comfortable rejection buffer is to let's just be friends. This is made all the more easy for her because of the process the guy used to get to that point. Sniper mentality. Virtually all guys who get to the point of a let's just be friends rejection come to it because they fall in line with some variation of what I call the sniper mentality. They patiently wait for their one target to the exception of all others, constantly attempting to prove their quality in doing so, meaning they emphasize a comfort level and try to be friends before lovers. In essence, they believe that de-bedroom funizing themselves will make them more attractive because they've, brought, they've bought into the idea that a woman must be comfortable with them first before they initiate intimacy. Once the AFC gets to the point where he's mustered enough courage to initiate, and he feels she should be comfortable enough to appreciate him as boyfriend material, the sniper takes his shot. The problem with this process is that it bypasses essential stages of attraction and the necessary discomfort and bedroom fun tension necessary for intimacy, and proceeds directly to a warm, familiar, comfortable rapport, the exact opposite of arousal. 
if you think about this in terms of bedroom fun, this is the stage right after climax when she wants to cuddle, spoon, and be wrapped up in a nice, secure oxytocin-induced comfort. This is the opposite of the testosterone-fueled, sweaty, anxious, and uncomfortable stage of arousal and intercourse before the release. So in terms of friendship and the sniper mentality, you've skipped arousal and gone straight to comfort. You are perceived as a stuffed animal she can hug and then put back on the bed. Thus, when that previously platonic stuffed animal uncharacteristically gets a hard-on and says, I think we ought to be intimate, her reaction is to think that everything you've done for her up to that point has been a grand ruse. My god, all you wanted was bedroom fun this whole time? Her most predictable response is then the let's just be friends rejection. The field has already been tilled by you. It's only one very easy step for her to stay in that suspended comfort. Can't we just be friends? And then the cycle repeats. The AFC believes that let's just be friends is a genuine offer and not a rejection. He then falls back into the sniper mentality. He mustn't have been convincing enough to prove his worth to her and therefore returns to further proving himself as a perfect boyfriend until he once again presses his intent of intimacy after another period. All this goes on apace until she becomes intimate with a real man. Uh, or he acquires uh, and, and or he acquires a new target after realizing his efforts with the Let's Just Be Friends girl aren't bearing fruit. <coughs> the friend zone. The problem with a lot of the friend zone advice women tend to offer is that they cast doubt on whether a Let's Just Be Friends rejection is in fact a rejection, not a ge- genuine desire of friendship. To which I'll say the only reason the friend zone is such a common issue among men and women for so long is because it's been repeated so regularly and the outcome so predictable. A woman's behavior is always the only gauge of her intent. And thus when a rejection like let's just be friends has been so consciously met, uh, sorry, consistently met with the same outcome and behavior, it's only uh, prudent for a man to behave in kind. A man's default response should always be no to let's just be friends. The reason for this is because it serves his best interest, whether she's testing him or is rejecting him. Uh, If he's confident enough in himself to walk away from the bedroom fun environment, he proves himself as decisive enough to put himself above being played. Ergo, he leaves her with the impression that he's the prize, possibly has contact with better prospective women, and is confident enough to take away his attentions from her, and thus passes any crap test she might have implied, while placing the responsibility of a reconnection on her. If she has in fact had a change of heart and is using the let's just be friends as a means to reject him, he still benefits from all the above and plants the seed of doubt in her about her initial estimation of his acceptability. He walks away on his feet and not on his knees by playing friend with her and wasting still more time that could be far better spent with more productive prospects. It really is one of the few win-win game situations for a guy to make a wholesale withdrawal of his attentions when he's confronted with this. Women know all too well how a let's just be friends places social pressure on a guy to accept what basically basically amounts to an ultimatum of negative social proof. And that's a ton of crap test no matter what her real intent is. If the guy turns down her offer of friendship, he's the loser, not her. But the guy can do what what common sense and gut instinct points out to him will be the one to succeed. Uh, Confrontation. Human beings' natural inclination is to avoid confrontation. When a man makes an approach to intimacy with a woman, this becomes confrontational. If she's unsure of a man's bedroom fun acceptability for her intimacy, she must resort to psychosocial learned behaviors to diffuse this. Preferably, these techniques should be reinforced beforehand and proven to diffuse just such a confrontation. Thus, the let's just be friends response is acted out through generations of women across many different cultures, quite simply because it works, more often than not. You can also apply this to the boyfriend disclaimer. 
Women who not so nonchalantly weave into their casual conversation that they have a boyfriend in a preemptive effort to diffuse a potential suitor's interests. It's basically a proactive let's just be friends rejection. She reads your telegraphed intent and prevents your further pressing her for a date. It's the guy who's unwilling to accept these conventions that makes the most lasting impressions of confidence. It goes against what our common human heritage dictates for us. Avoid conflict, don't make waves, be her friend, etc. By not accepting a let's just be friends, you emphatically make known that you're good at confrontation, you have an understanding of her motives, and you're confident enough in yourself to make it known. Not only does this impress her with potential for security provisioning, it also implies future confidence. The problem for most guys is enacting this and making it a default behavior when her biology would have us move away from conflict rather than engage in an unacceptable social dynamic that's suddenly damaging to his own interests. Okay, uh, let's go back to this article and then we'll do um, the Reddit post. Here you go. Especially when the objection is rather small. Because that's something you can, you say, well, I can put up with it. It's like, fair enough, like you don't want to make everything into a war. I usually use a rule of three. If we're interacting and you do something that I find disruptive, uh, I'll note it. It's like, potential dragon, gone. And I leave it be. And then if you do it again, I think, oh yeah, that probably wasn't merely situational. But I'll leave it be, because that's still not enough evidence. But if you do it a third time, then I'll say, hey, I just noticed this. And you'll say, no, that didn't happen. And I'll say, yeah, not only did it happen, but it happened here and it happened here, and I'm not making this up. So there's something going on here. Like, I'm not ignoring it, and we can get to the bottom of it. Yeah, if you have to collect evidence, right, to have an argument, then you're having a bad time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, Jordan, I think, has a, has a poor relationship with his wife, um, just based on these subtle things, if you ask me. Anyway, let's go on to the Reddit post here. Uh, I, 39 male, resent my 38 female stay-at-home wife. My wife has been a stay-at-home mom for the past 14 years. She went back to work last year, 2022. At the beginning of this year, 2023, she decided to reduce her hours, and I said, fine, do whatever you need to do. Well, so then she reduced her hours to zero. Last I checked, zero hours meant that you quit your job, but what do I know? She tells me she has a job. At the same time, my wife decided to diagnose herself with, with um, the D word. Not D-word, but whatever. She refuses to even say it right. She decides to completely stop driving due to her anxiety. So to say I was blindsided was an understatement. We did the couples counseling for a few years prior to, to the C-word and things were good. Now when I say you might want to go back into therapy, she made it clear it doesn't work. And that I need therapy since I'm an asshole. And in the middle of all this, she made it clear that I didn't do anything at home and that I need to step up at home. Well, I was working from home, but since C-Word is now over, I'm back in the office and out of the house 10 to 12 hours a day. I find it hard to do laundry or take the kids to school from my desk. I also do not have the privilege of getting the kids on the bus at 8 a.m. and to be home and get them off the bus at 3. I made it clear I can support the morning, but not the afternoon, and I found out she wants me home both sides now. So yeah, my wife has anxiety stopping her from driving. She has the D-Word she refuses to get help for. She has a job that she now works zero hours a week, and somehow I need to do more work at home to make her happy. I really tried to talk to her about this, but she just chooses to change the subject to how her job is harder than yours and men don't do enough for her uh, to help her around the house. I've, uh, I even get forced to do all the food shopping since she won't leave the house. So I go to Walmart twice a week and it's five minutes from the house. I drive the kids to all the programs she signed them up for and I cook dinner four nights a week. I feel taken advantage of by someone who doesn't understand that doing laundry twice a week isn't a 30k a year job. 
Yes, she puts the kids on the bus, but now that she reduced her hours to zero, I get told she has a job. She takes care of the house and kids on her own. So can I forcibly get her to get a different job? This entire I can't drive with anxiety, but help does not help uh, as driving me mad. Honestly, I'm ready to take my job to zero hours since work keeps getting in the way of everything I need to do at the house. Unfortunately, my kids like food and my wife loves the internet. So if I quit, the merry-go-round stops. Yeah, this is called... Um, this is called being ungrateful. This is called you as a man are being nice, but she's alpha widowed by Chad, and so she treats you like garbage. That's what this is. Let's look at the top comment. Uh, yeah, 6.1k. Time for a uh, divorce. 1.1k upvotes. The most annoying thing she does was pronounce the D word wrong. Everything else is bad, but that's just unforgivable. Okay. Uh, yeah, this uh, 116 upvotes. This might be the funniest thing I've seen on Reddit in a while. Uh, not laughing at the OP situation, though. 42 upvotes. I had a chuckle at the fact this is the most fed up post I've ever read. The tone was so spot on. Possibly going to, you know, I might see you guys there. Yeah, this is... Uh, 882 upvotes. Honestly, this sounds so frustrating. Can any family or friends help with some sort of intervention? She really needs to do something to help herself, and if she doesn't, it's maybe time to consider if the marriage is over. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. 107 upwards. She's a product of her environment, and I don't think that an old dog can learn new tricks. I don't know if you should stay married to this woman. How old are the kids now? Yeah. Uh, 2.1k upvotes. You can't make her do anything. You do have choices, however. You can choose to stay and deal with this, or you can choose to end the marriage. Part of our job as parents is to demonstrate healthy relationships for our kids to model. If you're not openly arguing in front of your kids, they pick up on tension. And being around that kind of conflict can increase their odds of developing uh, anxiety disorders and other mental health issues. Obviously, your wife needs mental health support. If she are actively trying to work on that, it would be one thing. But she is refusing to address it with a professional. It's not uncommon for women at her age to begin to experience the effects of pre-menopause which can kick off or exacerbate anxiety and the D-word due to hormonal imbalances. She should discuss it with the doctor. If she refuses again, it's up to you to decide if you want to stay or go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to end the video there. Again, if you're new to the channel, liking the content, hit that sub, hit all for notifications. If you'd like to support me, uh, just go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash theheliasblog and subscribe. Again, it's patreon.com slash theheliasblog. Uh, also, uh, thank you so much guys for taking the time to listen to my videos, especially if you listen to the end. I really do appreciate it. You guys are wonderful. Take care of yourselves and I will see you next time.